You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 66 and we're talking about purpose and meaning. To many of us who've been part of organizations that treat their people like a number, like a cog in a machine, organizations that squeeze every resource they have, every customer, every employee, every situation for every last drop of profit, no matter the human cost, no matter the long-term destruction. They're organizations who, according to my guests in this episode, desperately need to find their true purpose. Nicholas Barnett and Rodney Howard have worked together on a brand new book in which they describe the transformational power of finding true purpose at an organizational and individual level. In the conversation you're about to hear, I ask Rodney and Nick how well organizations typically understand their purpose. We talk about the symptoms of those that don't, and of course, will give you a series of steps that you can follow to find purpose in your own team, business, or indeed yourself as an individual. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rodney Howard and Nick Barnett. Nicholas Barnett and Rodney Howard, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Great to be with you. It's great to have you both with me. You know what? This is a very first time on the Team Guru Podcast. I've spoken to two people at the same time. You're making a a little bit of modest history here, gentlemen. Love making history. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Hey, now, you guys have written a book together, Why Purpose Matters. That's a really interesting thing to do for a start, writing a book together. And and when I ask you the next question, feel free to to drop in a comment about how it was working together on that book. But the thing that most interests me is that you've come to this topic from really different angles. Nick, you're currently the CEO of InSync, which is a company that um, is a survey company, research consulting firm. You're a chairman of an insurance company. That You're a director of Mission Australia. You have a long history at the executive level of various organizations. And Rodney, you began your career as a medical doctor, which I find fascinating that a decade as a medical doctor and for the last 20 years, you've spent your time as an organization development consultant, helping people live fulfilling lives. It's a fascinating contrast that you both have. Let's start with you, Nick. How did you land on this topic about purpose and why it matters, the importance of having a purpose at an organizational level? Well, thanks, David. Firstly, the book's actually titled Why Purpose Matters, and the subtitle is And How It Can Transform Your Organization. So I've been working at InSync for over 10 years, and I've been working in other organizations as a CEO or as a leader for another 20 plus years. And look, I've been really interested in leadership and culture and engagement and how all that done well really leads to high performance. And frankly, over that time, I've 
seen how those deep and meaningful conversations uh, that connect people and engage people that go way beyond making a profit actually make a massive difference to organizational performance. But prior to that, employee engagement improves cultures and, and leads to greater sustainability and profitability in the long run. So I've always been interested in this area and I actually met Rodney where we were both looking after a mutual client and we both started talking about this important topic and we both had some similar views and ideas and wanted to share them with the world. So that's probably my big picture view. So of all the things that you've seen, it's, it's this concept of purpose that you've settled on as, as the most powerful concept that decides success or, or not. That's right. So people are desperate and have a desperate yearning for meaning and fulfillment and for relevance and to make a contribution. And I think that's becoming more and more vivid and clear in the society, particularly with younger, the younger generation. Not many people that I know or I meet or I deal with want to just come to work and make more money for the boss and go home. Yeah. They actually so want to come. Yeah, well, that's right. Why would you? And organizations got away with it years ago, just had people come and be like cogs in a wheel. And, you know, I've heard all sorts of terrible descriptions of, of employees. They say, I feel like a cog in a wheel, or I feel like I'm treated like a robot, or I'm a, treated like a battery hen, or I'm treated as a hamster in a wheel. And they don't, re that doesn't really suit most people. And most people want to have some relevance and add meaningful contribution. And do something that's bigger than themselves. So that's where it all comes from. And it's critical for individuals, it's critical for teams, and it's fundamental for organizations. That's the old paradigm, isn't it? That concept that if you're a boss, then I pay you, therefore you should care. That's um, our old school way of thinking that, that is no longer relevant and it's becoming clearer and, and clearer the, the more I pursue this topic and uh, host podcasts and talk to people like yourself. What about you, Rodney? How did you land on this topic as a passion and, and tell us a little more about what, or a little bit about what it means to find purpose on a personal level? Yeah, thanks, David. So, you know, I, I echo everything Nick said and we sort of, as you rightly said at the beginning, came to this book with different pathways, but sort of, you know, there was a fair bit in the center of the Venn diagram and the intersection and Nick came more through the classical organisational route and I, I came through to this point with, as you said, having a long career as a medical practitioner and then spending 20 years working as a coach and a facilitator and a change agent and ultimately working with transformation inside groups and teams and organisations. And, you know, one of the things that was central to my transition out of working as a medical doctor into the work that I do now was this absolute recognition that, you know, some of the people that were sitting in front of me in the medical consulting suites, you know, although they had some physical ailments and physical complaints, the real dilemma for them lay in a different place altogether. And I didn't quite know at the time whether that was a, an emotional component or a spiritual component or a psychological component, but I started to realize that a lot of the people that I was talking to really were yearning for some sort of deeper sense of meaning or purpose or relevance or, or validity in the world or seeking better relationships with other people or seeking more fulfillment in their role, seeking to be feel as though they were a more 
valuable and contributing member to society. And then when I started working with people in organizations, which was more about, you know, how can we help people be the best that they can be and then build great teams, build great divisions and build great organizations, I started to see similar themes. And then and the more I started working with people and the more I started working with groups and organizations, the more I started to realize that this concept of purpose was absolutely central to so much of the work that I was doing. And so many of the conversations I was having with people, whether it was a one-on-one coaching conversation or whether it was talking to people about how their division could be more successful or working within an executive team in a large organization about how they could be more effective and collaborative together. So often we might start at a fairly functional level like, you know, how could we get more widgets out of our team? And within sort of 30 to 40 minutes or an hour or two of group discussion, we'd be discussing, well, what are we actually here to achieve? And what is actually the meaning of the work we're doing? And what is it that binds us together? And so often I found myself coming back to this central question of purpose. And then, then you know, Nick and I met on this chair client, as he said, and we started having some conversations and we both discovered we'd been doing work in the in the area of helping our clients, both individually and collectively, discover purpose and then embed it in their organizations. And that was the kernel for, hey, why don't we write a book about it? And that sort of led us to where we are today and the reason that we're having this conversation with you right now. If you want to inject some energy and leadership expertise into your next event, why not invite David to speak? He'll get things moving. Rodney, in a little while, I'm I'm going to ask you a little bit about individuals and that concept of purpose and and what it means in their lives and, and the way symptoms of a lack of purpose can emerge through an individual's life. I I find that whole thing fascinating. We're also going to talk through the formula that you guys have come up with for searching for purpose and finding it and and embedding it. But before we get there, I I just want to get a little more basic and and I'll, I'll start with you here, Nick, thinking about the concept of what we're really talking about here. When we're, when we're thinking purpose at an organizational level, what do you see? What do you mean by that? And how well do we typically do that within organizations at an organizational level? So, David, we don't do it very well. And we're really good at describing what we do. So, you go to most websites of most companies and there's a description of what we do. We sell this, we make manufacture that, we provide those services. It's very rare that you'll find people advising on their website why they do what they do. It's extremely rare. And when actually asked, most are confounded that you'd actually even ask them the question, what do you mean? And if you prod a bit further, they probably say, most would probably say, well, to make money for the shareholders, why else would we do it? Someone's invested money, they want a return, and so that's why we're doing it. But at a deeper level, it almost certainly that's not the real reason why the organization started. And when you dig a little bit deeper, you often find that there was a whole different reason why the organization started. And even an organization that's been going 10, 20, 50 years and trying to find a contemporary purpose, you need to dig deep and in some people say excavate and discover to discover what that purpose is. And, and to do that as a group of employees, 
is a very empowerful and liberating and unifying thing to say, well, why are we really doing this? And part of this is what makes my company not just a me too company, what makes my company distinctive and special? And that's what organizations are trying to find these days because, you know, there's plenty of companies that sell widgets. There's hundreds of them. So the question is, why is your widget selling company different to the next one? And what makes it special? What makes it different? And part of clarifying your purpose and embedding that purpose and bringing that to life in your organization creates a whole new organizational entity, identity and a whole new character and a whole new essence. And um, that's the beauty of that. But it's very rare, unfortunately. But there's a bit of a move, I think, in probably in the last five, 10 years across the globe where there's some significant companies are starting to say, well, we need to start thinking about this. And it's interesting that uh, even our two major banks, the NAB and the ANZ, started this process less than 18 months ago and recently both announced their purpose in the last three or four months as part of a way to reconnect with their people and their customers and the community. So, I think you're going to see a lot more people dig a bit deeper to go go beyond just, hey, our purpose is to make some money for our shareholders. Nick, how authentic is that? When you talk about the NAB or ANZ searching for their purpose, I find that, I don't know, difficult to swallow, that it's genuine and authentic. We know that it's a, an organization's responsibility to maximize returns for shareholders. That is their, their number one responsibility. They're, they're obliged to do that. So an organization like that, these big behemoths like the big four banks, for them to say anything but our job is to make as much money as we can for our shareholders is really difficult for those on the outside of that industry to swallow. David, that's a really interesting point you've made, but I think most directors of the big four banks these days are actually saying, for us to actually try and maximize our profits for our shareholders actually is naive and it's not sustainable and we need to think far deeper, far more meaningful, far more purposefully and far more sustainably about how we run our organizations. And that I think the fall off and the dramatic drop in trust in organizations in Australia across the globe and the spotlight, as you pointed out, it's on the banking industry right now in particular. That spotlight has shown, shone a bright light on the lack of trust, lack of sincerity, lack of confidence that customers and the community have in these large organizations. And that's largely because the organizations have been so profit-focused, they have forgotten their customer and they've forgotten the community. And it's going to take a lot for them to shake that reputation, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. But, and you're totally right about if this whole process is not done authentically, I think you've hit the nail on the head, then it will backfire, actually. So this needs to be done totally authentically, and it requires incredibly authentic leadership and a real commitment over several years, particularly for a big organizations like the ones we're talking about, absolute authentic leadership, united leadership to really drive a new and deeper and more meaningful and relevant purpose. But I can tell you that if they don't do that and if they don't get that their act together, 
It has already cost them billions, as we've seen with a $16 billion banking levy. The government says, we're sick of you uh, stuffing up customers and treat, you know, just make, being profit machines, and um, we're just going to zap you. And then the South Australian government's jumped on. Now we're seeing, and the CEO salaries and bonuses adds fuel to the fire. So look, there's a lot of changes that need to be made in corporate land. Some companies are really jumping on this and getting it. Will they do it authentically? You're asking, and I think it's a great question because if they don't do it authentically, uh, it will backfire on it. But if they do, they have a chance of rebuilding the trust and confidence in their organisation. Well, I'll, I'll be an interested observer to that from a distance, Nick, because um, as we've said, the reputation is bad and, and for them to make some moves in that direction is, is going to take some really hard work and um, some, some serious re-establishing of relationships. Rodney, you've just heard Nick talk about purpose and organisations that, that have it or don't have it, organisations that need to re-establish it because they've been those money-making machines for too long. They've lost the trust of the public and, and the government and, and their customers. What are the things that we see from the people who are on the ground? What are the, the symptoms among the troops of an organisation that has lost or indeed has never found its, its real purpose? That's a great question. And Nick is eminently capable to answer this in terms of the work that InSync does in relationship to engagement. You know, my experience in talking to people is that, you know, most of us are looking for something far more than just a salary in terms of going to work. And I think there was a period and there was a time when, when that might have satisfied people because people didn't really expect anymore. We live in a very different age now and people want of course, to have their basic security needs met, which we get through our income generation. But people want a lot more than that. They want to feel as though they're an engaged, valuable member of a community. And for most of us, a large part of our life is spent within the community of our workplace. So, you know, to feel as though not only that we're engaged and we're an invaluable contributor to that workplace, but even at a deeper level, that our work is meaningful for us so that we gain some sense of personal fulfillment by feeling like we are contributing to something bigger and broader than our own self-needs and that we are an important cog in a, in a broader organizational dynamic. That's an incredibly enriching experience for most people. And so, you know, that, that's, that's where this concept of purpose becomes quite profound. And it's an essential human need, isn't it? We, we need to feel as though, we, we need a few things. We need to feel as though we're special, that we have something to offer that is unique to us. And we also need to feel as though we're part of something greater than ourselves. And, and if we think to that stereotypically dysfunctional workplace that, say, Dilbert represents, those Dilbert cartoons of great fame, they're organizations that seemingly designed to crush the soul. And what you're describing there is that we as human beings need something so much more than that. What about you, Nick? In, in your work and the, the research that you do through your company, InSync, and, and, and the long history we've talked about as, as an executive, what is going on with individuals? When you walk into an organization and you know that they have not ever established clearly their purpose, what do you expect to see on, on the faces of those who are in the cubicles? 
I think there's probably two two main things that are going on. One is that there's no inspiration and motivation to do something bigger. There's no good, there's no decent narrative around from the leadership team and, and the person that uh, these people report to about this compelling future that's that's an exciting future and something we should all aspire to and be looking forward to and helping develop and being part of. So that's probably one part of it. And the other part of it, unfortunately, and this is breaks my heart, is that so many of those people in the companies that we're talking about are treated or they're dehumanized. Let me say they're dehumanized. In other words, they're not treated as people. There's no decent relationships happening. And the bosses have all decided that their purpose is to make money and people are a cost. And if we need to, we need to get rid of people or rejig them or make them work harder or faster without really understanding human behavior. And a lot of these, a lot of people running companies these days are really good technically, but they're not that good in leadership. And leadership's all about relationships and connecting with people. And so I see in way too many organizations and I hear way too often that they're treated as robots and, and they're dehumanized. And, and if you're dehumanized and treated in that way, you're not going to do your best for the company. I love the concept of reciprocity. If your boss looks after you and cares for you, you go out of your way to look after and care for the boss and the company. If your boss treats you like crap, then you're not going to do that. You're not going to go out of your way. It's pretty basic stuff. But unfortunately, too many of our leaders don't understand that. Nick, have we changed fundamentally as human beings? Are we less likely to put up with a workplace that treats us like a number, that, that sees its staff as a, as a cost rather than an investment or indeed a partner? David, I think times are changing. Some companies have woken up to this and, and are really humanistic organizations. There's a movement across the globe that's you know buying into purpose. There's a, another great book called Firms of Endearment, which lists a bunch of the companies that have taken this approach and looking for purpose beyond profit. We've all got to make a profit. We all know that. We've all got to, it's like the air you breathe as an individual without air, without oxygen, you're dead. As an organization without profit and without cash flow, you're dead. But, you know, we don't want to just be alive and survive. We want something more. We want relevance. We want meaning. We want that fulfillment. We want to know, as you've said, as Rodney said, we want to know that we're making a contribution and that, that our lives count. So that's, um, that's what people are looking for. We're going to get, I'm going to get you guys to describe very soon that there's this, the process that, that you go through helping organizations and individuals find that purpose. But before we get there, I want to ask you, Rodney, what do organizations tell themselves to fool themselves into thinking that either finding their purpose is not important or that the purpose that they've just come up with on the run is the right one, even though it's not working? What what lies do organizations and the people who run organizations tell themselves? Yeah, I'd answer that in two ways. I'd, I'd break it up into two groups almost, those that are unaware and those that are aware. Those that are unaware have no concept of what we're talking about because they're really reasonably unevolved people and often unevolved people run relatively unevolved organizations that are fairly immature. And so, you know, you can look at some 
you know, younger organizations or startup organizations or organizations that are in the first generation or second generation. And often they're organizations that we've been talking about, which are almost totally focused on profit and nothing else because they haven't got to a stage of evolution whereby they've gone beyond survival or security means. And purpose is a higher order need, if you like. And so sometimes we actually need to get through some iterations, if you like, of our evolution. But then there are people who are aware of some of the stuff we're talking about and choose not to engage. Um, And they're the ones who consciously choose um, to continue just to focus on profit because it's easy, it's quick, um, it serves a a need that the community has, many people have an expectation about, which is we're just here to make shareholder returns as good as we can. And I think often what happens is, unfortunately, and Nick and I see this a lot, you know, organizations will then say, okay, well, let's go on this purpose journey. Everyone else is doing it. We need to tick the box. It goes back to the old days in the 80s of the mission statement that you used to go around. You might remember often in the 80s and 90s, you'd go around and, you know, you'd walk into a bank and there'd be this this document on the wall that would say our mission statement. Well, that was a you know an early version of a purpose statement, if you like. But unfortunately, often what happens is that, you know, that might be that expert, you know, that process is delegated to HR. You know, somebody says, um, okay, HR department, can you come up with something? You know, some people in HR get together over a couple of hours. They get together a fancy bunch of words. It all sounds very good. They pass it back up to the CEO. The CEO says, this is great. I love it. And then suddenly an email goes out to, you know, 15,000 people in the organization and says, this is our purpose. And, you know, that happens so often. The great problem with that is, number one, it's not done with meaningful intent. Number two, it's not done with a great deal of integrity. Number three, there's no inclusivity or participation. So the people who you want to be involved in the creation of this collective sense of purpose are not involved at all. And number four, it comes down as a decree from on high from the boss. And so it just becomes another absolutely meaningless organizational artifact that goes on a mouse mat, goes on a, you know, on the on the front page of um of a booklet, you see it down the written at the bottom of an agenda, and it's a strap line, but it absolutely has no relevance. And unfortunately, what that does is it just reinforces the myth that these things are only done because people in leadership roles feel as though they have to do them as a tick the box exercise, but there's no genuine intent or integrity behind the endeavor itself. And all that does, unfortunately, is just increase some of the cynicism and despair that we've already spoken about that is part of the malaise of many large organizations that we see in the world today. Yeah, that was the point I was about to make. Easily could do more harm than good if not done with authenticity, because if you're lining up in a bank, watching people be treated very badly and and waiting 20 minutes in line and you look on the wall and there's a mission statement that says that uh, customers are our number one priority and we treat them with respect or whatever it might be, it's, as I say, it would do more harm than good to have those, those meaningless words up on a wall that are in no way connected with the experience that you had. I'm going to stay with you for a minute, Rodney, before I'm going to throw to Nick, who's going to start talking us, us through the steps that you guys work with organizations to find their purpose. But before I do that, Rodney, I want to ask you about individuals. Everything we've talked about here, either, either knowing what you're about or not knowing what you're about on an individual level. Are all of these things the same? Are they, they all holding true for us as, as human beings? Well, my sense is the metaphor is exactly, it's exactly appropriate. In other words, 
you know, if we, if we think about people as organisms and then we think about bunches of people as, as a larger collective of organisms and then you put those people in a team, you put them in a division, you put them into a larger organisation, you put them into a massive organisation, you're dealing with collectives of organisms that become just larger and larger organisms. So let's go back to us as individuals and think about, you know, the way I often describe it to people is, you know, the, the most superficial thing that we can see is the way that we behave. You know, that's our sort of our physical domain. And if we, if we go a level deeper in our human experience, then we go to the level of our psychological space, our, our mental energy, the way that we think, the way that we perceive our attitudinal frame. And if we go another level deeper, we get into our emotional space, which is where all of our decisions are made. And it's also where our values connect. And if we go right to the very core of what makes us as people, we're into that spiritual domain. So we've got, you know, we've got our body, we've got our mind, we've got our emotions and our feelings, and we've got our spiritual essence. And whether or not you're a religious person or a non or non-religious person, another way of thinking about that spiritual essence is spirit in action, the way that we actually bring our spiritual energy to life in action in our life is through our sense of purpose. And it's part of the reason why purpose is such a deep, central yearning for us as people. We can see how we move and we can see our physicality and we do our exercise and our yoga and so on. We can start to gain a sense of what are our thoughts, what are our belief systems, what's going on in our attitudinal frame and our mindset, and we can start to gain some choices around how we think and how we look at the world around us. We can start to get a sense of our emotional arena through our values set. You know, what's important to us? What do we prioritize? What do we really want to live and die for in terms of the things that are important for us? And then at a very central core, what is it that actually defines us in terms of contribution we want to make to the world around us, ultimately to help make this world a better place? And how does that involve us at a deeply spiritual level and give us a sense of meaning? And that's what we yearn for as people. And that yearning then at an individual level is cascaded into our organizational collective experiences, whether that be a team of five people or an organization of 55,000 people. We have a yearning to know that that sense of purpose aligns with our organizational experience and that that's where we also can make a valuable contribution. And so that's the whole essence of the book. You know, Nick and I are absolutely true believers that if organizations as a collective experience of people are able to gain some greater definition of this is what we're here for collectively to achieve. This is our contribution to making the world a better place in some way, shape or form. And that I as an individual in my daily endeavor going into that workplace can actually connect with that. Wow, that's going to make me so much more of an engaged person. It's going to make me so much more feel as I want to make a huge effort and my discretionary contribution is going to increase, I'm going to feel like I want to be a part of this contribution because I want to serve, I want to contribute, I want to become a valuable member of this organization. That's the essence of it. So the metaphor in terms of personal purpose and organizational purpose, it absolutely lines up 100%. They are extensions, one and the same. It just depends where you scale up or where you scale down.
When I hear you talking about purpose at an individual level and how it, re- how it links with everything we've talked about at an organization level, it makes me think that it's almost though as the world is working against us very strongly in finding our purpose. If you're not on top of this, if you're not staying really well aware, you, we as individuals could easily find ourselves in a job that treats us like a number, that gives us little purpose for an organization that is working and churning its cogs to maximize profits for, for no other reason. And then at the same time in our private life, as we all step on the hamster wheel trying to pay our mortgages and fulfill our social responsibilities, get things done and look forward to a weekend, wish away five-sevenths of our lives so we can get to the weekend and catch our breath. If you're not aware of this stuff and you just let life gobble you up, you could be devoid of purpose in both your professional and your personal life really easily. And, and, and that's, a, that's a really concerning thing. The fact that if we're not on top of it, we could easily get sucked into that black hole of whatever the opposite of purpose is. You also make me think of something else, Rodney, as you talk, and something that Nick said earlier, that, that yearning for meaning and fulfillment and relevance. It, it makes me think about the way that we as a society treat things like unemployment or homelessness or being ill or even just getting old at an economic or political policy level. It's very transactional. And we think very much about a cost. And you know, like a bad employee thinks of their people as a cost, we as a society think of those things as a cost. Yet at a human level, if we think, say, for example, of a long-term unemployed person, we have our political leaders talking about them as if they're this terrible burden on our economy. Yet at a personal level, here is someone who is missing out on an opportunity for purpose, someone who has no professional purpose. And the kind of impact that would have on them as a human being, Nick, when I wrap it on about that kind of stuff, where does that leave you? Look, I I think about the simple word human being. And actually, we are on this planet to be human beings, but the busy world we're in, the rushing around and all the stuff that we're doing, we're actually more like human doings. And it's the same with same in organizations. We're so busy doing stuff and doing it faster and cheaper and quicker and more effective and more efficient and bigger and smaller and whatever it is that we haven't got time to figure out, well, actually, who are we? Why are we here? And what's the purpose? What's our contribution to the world? And we we are so busy doing that we actually don't take the time to be. And um, I, look, I agree with all that Rodney said, agree with what you said. There's no doubt that at a deep, deep level, people want to find greater meaning and purpose. Unfortunately, we're all so busy. We think, oh, we'll do that next time when we next week when we've got some more time. And then we get, you know, trampled again and uh, so busy that we can't um, take our breath. And uh, that's unfortunately the way society is. And it's not getting any better. So it's a privilege to be able to step back and do this. And I think for, you know, we've got seven people that, uh, nine people that contributed to the book and, and one who wrote a forward. So 10 people. And I think if you look at all those people that uh, really believe in purpose, they're all authentic, purpose-driven and values-led leaders that really believe in this stuff and really believe that they just don't want to create any old organization that looks a bit like the one next door, but 
they want to provide some meaning and fulfillment and for their employees and relevance. And they know that, you know, everyone says our employees are our greatest asset, but not many really believe it and live it authentically. And these 10 do and plenty of others that Rodney and I get involved with do. And we'd love, and why we wrote the book is to share this with the world and hopefully people will say, wow, we should take a look at this. We should start a discussion and a dialogue with our leadership team, with our board, with our shareholders and see if um, we can bring some of this meaning and fulfillment into the organization. And, you know, all the studies show that actually as you do that, you'll get, you'll engage your employees in a much greater way. They'll give far greater discretionary effort to your organization and that actually builds greater organizational capacity and paradoxically, it actually delivers greater profits and shareholders over the long term. So it's a bit of a paradox, this whole thing, you know. The more times you chase profit, the less profit you're going to make because if you're chasing profit, your employees become expendable, your customers even become expendable. And you can absolutely chase profit. You can ramp it up over the short term. But the more you do that in a concerted way, the more likely it is that you won't sustain that and paradoxically, you'll, the less profit you'll make in the long term. I really like what you said earlier there. We should be human beings, but really we're busy being human doings. That's nice. I'm going to steal that or at least borrow it. Hey, uh, Nick, while you're on a roll there, mate, um, in your book, you outline a, a really simple four-step process, the, the how-to guide of discovering your purpose. Can you do it justice in a few minutes? I'll do my best. <laughs> yes, they say four steps. So look, the first one is having that dialogue, having that discussion with your leadership team and those that are going to be involved. Because if you haven't got 100% unity at uh, the leadership team level, if there's, you've got six on the leadership team and only four really buy into this, don't start. Please don't start. Even if you've got five out of six, don't start. You've got to have absolute unity and you've got to buy into this in a deep way. And you've actually got to try and count the cost. You know, there is a cost. There is a, there's a cost in time and effort. And you can't do this half-hearted and you can't get halfway and say, oh, actually, let's stop now. So don't start the process unless you're going to, and in your words earlier, unless you're going to authentically hard-bake this into your culture and DNA, unless you really believe in this stuff and you're going to follow it through and bring it to life embedded in every nook and cranny of your organization, don't start. But assuming you do step one, you commit, then the st second step is you go through a very inclusive process that Rodney's talked about with absolutely meaningful intent, with integrity, sponsored by the CEO because no one else can sponsor this sort of process. And that dis you discover, you dig deep, you excavate, and you, you find purpose. It's not, it'll be there, but you need to, it's like, the sculptor that carves away the marble to shape the figure in the, in the marble. You've got to do a lot of carving away to find what you're looking for. The third step is to engage your people. So you've done an inclusive process, but then you need to bring it to life, make it real for people. So you mean that it's not a good idea to discover your purpose in a board meeting and send an email telling people <laughs> what their purpose is? Well, that won't be a very inclusive way, will it? So inclusive means, in inclusive means with all your employees. And with technology today, that's easily done. You can do surveys, you can do forums, you can do all sorts of things to give people a say, hear what they've got to say, get their ideas, let one idea 
be birthed into another and be birthed into another in an iterative way, make improvements. And it's a very unifying and powerful, engaging process done well. That's step two, the discovery process. So yes, and then step three, let's engage people. Let's really bring it to life. Let's hear some stories. And that's not sending an email. That's actually getting out and talking. And and it's a two-way conversation and it's people talking to people and sharing things and connecting to the purpose in a deep way. And then the last step is that embedding process. And that's probably where the real work starts. And we say in the book, commit for at least two years. Bigger organizations need to commit for three or four and see it through. And there will be backlash. There will be pushback. And that'll test your resilience. Uh, Do you really authentically believe in this stuff? Are you going to really follow this through? There'll be tough times. There'll be decisions that might have to be recast in the light of your new purpose. So really dig deep and be authentic, be resilient and follow through. And the organizations that do this, purpose just becomes their way of life. It just affects all their their discussions, all their plans, all their decisions, all their actions. Everything changes once you embed purpose. And it's a beautiful thing once you see it brought to life. Geez, you did a good job there, Nick, of putting those four big steps into a nice condensed version for us. Rodney, I'll leave the last word to you before we go, mates. Um, the work that you're doing and, and the work that you see organizations and individuals doing, are we on the cusp of a revolution of humanity and, and humanness and meaning in what we do, or is there still a long way to go? Look, I'd love to say we're on the cusp, David, but I wouldn't be true to myself if I did. My own personal view is that this is just an ongoing evolution of humanity and the world that we live in. And if we think about organizations 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and where we are now, we can start to see a whole lot of things that some of the things are still the same. There are still sweatshops. There are still mechanistic industries where people come in, do a job, go home. What we can also see is organizations that are starting to be led by leaders with an expanded realm of consciousness, with greater sense of humanity, with a greater sense of the responsibility that they have in terms of the contribution that organizations have to the broader society and community. And so we can start to see organizations evolve and transform in terms of becoming a more mature organizations. And they're the sort of organizations that Nick and I are working with in terms of facilitating the dialogue, the conversations, helping people become more alive to the sense of humanity that we want in our organizations so that people can come to work, have a better experience, and there is an ongoing evolution. So, you know, I don't necessarily see we're on the cusp, but what I do see is it's an ongoing evolution transformation. And, you know, to circle right back to the beginning to a comment that Nick made around, you know, young people today, the fantastic thing about people in their 20s and 30s is they are not signing up just to work 14 hours a day to get enough money to get to the next job to get to the next you know promotion they are signing up because they want a much fuller experience and they want to be able to say I've got a full life I've got family I've got kids I've got my role I've got my job and I want all of that to be meaningful and fulfilling and I want to be able to work in organizations whereby I can have a deeper, more meaningful experience. And those things are often more important than money for me, and I'm prepared to make a trade-off on those things. That's really exciting because that's going to actually continue to kick us on in this ongoing transformation and evolution. So 
you know, I've got teenage children. Nick's got uh, teenage children and two kids in his 20s. We're both genuinely excited with the opportunities that we're starting to see open up for those people, and we've all got a role to play in that. So it's a very positive, optimistic future that we've got ahead of us. I look forward to being a part of it. It's, it does sound good. Mature organisations uh, taking a responsible part in the community rather than profit monsters who treat their people as the three-dimensional characters that they are. That's a, it's a beautiful future you paint. Nicholas Barnett, Rodney Howard, thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. Great pleasure, David. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for having us on. Great pleasure, David. And that was Rodney Howard and Nick Barnett. It was nice to put a label on those organisations that rub me up the wrong way, as a customer especially, the ones that espouse customer service, quality and care, but then treat me like a dispensable number. And it was wonderful to hear Rodney dream about a future in which understanding purpose and deep, authentic meaning will be the norm for organisations who understand their role as constructive members of our community. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Rodney and Nick on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.